Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Super pleased to be back with one of the original gangsters, one of the original founders of Trending in Education. Brandon Jones is back on the show. Brandon, welcome back to Trending in Education. Thanks, Mike. I'm uh, so happy to be back. I loved my time here, have been occasionally been back at it, and happy to be back at it today. Yeah, so you were, for those who don't know, you were a regular, someone, a, a pro, progenitor, progenitor? <laughs> a progenitor? I was a progenitor, I think. Yeah. And you're in favor of janitors. You're yeah, yeah, I was pro, I, I, it's pro-custodian, actually. That's, that's exactly, what the nice people call exactly them today. Correct language these days. But, but was in for the first three, three years, really, of the show on the regular. Pretty much every week, we would get together and talk about the future of learning and education. Since last July, you've been more semi-regular, but still getting your perspective on this stuff. For those who like Brandon from back in the day, I recently did a 2020 prediction show, which, which got some nice uptake, and I thought there was some interesting stuff to talk about now. You're now more squarely in the behavioral health lane, which is super relevant on a number of uh, fronts, but still, still staying tuned into what's emerging in technology, media, consumer electronics, education, learning, you name it. And, and we wanted to talk about a couple articles uh, that got our wheels turning. One out of uh, Fast Company, which talks about can AI ever rival human creativity? Uh, here's what the science says. Really interesting article, article by Tim Schweisferth and Renee Chester Godishait, who outlined a lot of the recent research around artificial intelligence, human intelligence, and uh, spoiler alert, the prognosis is somewhat good for human creativity to stay relevant, stay ahead of artificial intelligence in the next, say, five to 10 years, which is kind of the time horizon we're looking at. And then the second article, which we also looked at, was about a futurist in Oregon named Steve Brown, who put together his take on the technology trends, the emerging capabilities that are going to make the next 10 years more disruptive in terms of the, the changes we'll see than the changes we've seen in the last 40 years. So we're about to lean into the, the 2020s. Uh, people are getting futuristic, looking, say, five to 10 years ahead, 2030, Farsight, we talked a little bit about. I thought they're a nice foundation. We'll share them out. Hopefully our listeners have a chance to read up on these either in advance or while, uh, while listening to the show. But, but yeah, Brandon, if we're thinking about these two articles in this context, maybe specifically thinking about it in terms of what it's going to be like for us in 2030, how are we going to relate to emerging technologies like AI and everything else? What, what are your initial reactions to, to these two articles? Yeah, I think that both are interesting. I do have a hot take on the, on the Fast Company article about AI and uh, creativity, uh, which I'll save, but just stay tuned. Uh, keep, keep listening. Yeah. You know, I, thought, I thought one of the interesting thrusts in this article was about how AI, even if it can't compete, and that's, I'm going to come back to that in a bit, but even if it can't compete with human creativity, can accelerate or enable human creativity. I think mean, this, this gets into some of the, the, the topics that we've talked about uh, often on this show is, you know, the fact that AI for X is going to change X in, and basically all X's and thinking about you know, today already, you know, how technology enables creativity, whether you're talking about something that's sort of on the nose, like CAD computer assisted design or other tools and technologies that are used in really 
almost every creative pursuit today. Right. I think you know, that is not artificial intelligence enabling, but thinking, thinking about how AI might help human creatives, I think is really interesting. Yep. You know, the prognosis, as you said, is that John Henry is still going to be the steam engine here, sounds like for the next period of time. But, you know, that the steam engine, John, John Henry riding the steam engine <laughs> might, might go farther than John Henry on his, on his own two feet or Jane Henry for that matter. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's I, I think, interesting thoughts. I know we want to talk about the application to, to work. We're going to come back to you. And, yeah. and don't forget my hot take. My God. But, uh, that was so that much. was one of one of my one of one of my takeaways is and, and I think you do a good job of this in, in life, Mike. It's it's not a it's not an either or. It's a both and here. And I think both anding AI plus human creativity. I think that's going to unlock a lot of potential for the for those humans. Building on that and sort of leading into the other article, it is interesting to think about the role of the human in the system in the next say five to ten years, and I think it's going to be increasingly difficult to be a human who isn't playing with her head up and is in thinking about what will be job relevant and what may not be. If you've been good at, you know, following orders and accepting best practices and doing routine tasks at scale, you're gonna be right in the front lines of the, the fourth uh, industrial revolution and you may wind up being a casualty if you're not thinking about, okay, what will the landscape look like? Because you want to learn the right skills so that you can continue to earn and be relevant and not be subjugated by uh, robot or human overlords. But also, you know, you want to think about what skills do I want to develop now if, if Steve Brown is in fact right and the next 10 years are going to be as disruptive or more than the last 40, you know, tactics that had worked throughout a 20, 30 year career may no longer work. And, and to me, that's what's super interesting about the two articles in relation to one another is, you know, how much can you adjust your mindset and become more adaptive, flexible in your thinking, you know, hungry for new skills and competencies? Because that's where growth mindset really does come in, where if you don't see yourself as a finished piece of work whose skills and competencies have crystallized and instead you see yourself as someone who is fluid and dynamic and responsive to the ecosystems that are involved evolving around you it is a pretty exciting time you know you're going to need a lot of help to sort of navigate the complexity play with your head up but but i think it's a pretty interesting context to be thinking about training and educating humans. And that's what generally makes me gravitate to the future of work. But I think you were making the point when we were prepping, which I think is great as well, is like, it's really a future of everything, you know, and to think about this narrowly through the lens of future of work may be limiting too. So I think it's useful to think about the future of commerce, the future of leisure, the future of, of politics, whatever, you know, the future of X to your AI comment earlier. But any thoughts on the Steve Bant the Portland Futurist article, Steve Brown? Yeah. I, well, there is a list, and our, our yeah. longtime listeners know I love a list. I'll, I'll maybe read it for the, for the listeners here in just a second. But just to, to build on something you were saying, Mike, about, you know, it's an, it's an exciting time. I think it's also the, the, the upside to the downside of 
AI for X is going to eliminate a lot of people who are doing rote tasks in X. There's never been a better time to retool, reskill either. Yes. Right. Now you have to, this is growth mindset and grit and it's easy when faced with adversity, it's, it is easier to sort of drop out than to, you know, sort of fully lean in. I, I think, you know, we, we need to have sort of the, the psychic fortitude to be able to, this is sort of the growth mindset and grit side, to yeah. be able to, to challenge ourselves to move back up a learning curve. But there are better tools for moving up a learning curve today than ever before. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I think I've, I've talked on this show before about my grandfather who worked at Ohio crankshaft for 30 years and, and he was making crankshafts. It was a well-named place. Wow. Um, make a lot of jokes about that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But you know, if, if, if that factory had gone under, like maybe he could have made camshafts, but if he was even trying to make typewriters, I, I don't know, like something else that was mechanical machine, a machine shop, that would have been really hard for him. Like the tools to skill someone up were just very difficult This sort of, you know, not that far removed from sort of artisanal experience where you would, you know, serve under someone and learn from, from at that time, probably mostly him, but him or her, like today you can reskill easily. So I think what I would encourage our listeners, and I hope you do read both of these articles, but I would encourage you to think about how this is going to affect you, but then also how you can take advantage of some of these emerging trends and thinking about expanding your, skill set, capability, hireability through the lens of, of, of the future of work. So yeah. that was... I think that's a great point. And we, sh- we should get into the list in, in a second. But, but it makes me think about both the concept of learning transfer, like the idea that something you learn in one domain ideally can be applied when you broaden your learning to a new domain, uh, which is sort of the idea of like, if you're uh, you know, a philosophy student who then gets into data science, you're going to have some unique perspective there that someone who maybe went surely engineering route was studying data science the whole way. They're not necessarily going to have the full depth of experience that, that you will. And that works in the other direction too. Uh, you know, Elon Musk, uh, friend of the show, friend of the, friend show. of the show. Yeah. Come back to So we're back, we're back, back on the pro pro Elon phase, but uh, you know, he's notorious for his ability to transfer learning. And you know, his idea at least there is that, you know, getting a depth of understanding of engineering in particular, there are some concepts that can be abstracted from that that make it a lot easier to pick up subsequent domains. And I think that's why it's important to play with that longer time frame in mind, because when you're investing your attentional energy into learning new skills, best case, you're going to learn things that will have a longer shelf life. And worst case, the case to avoid would be spending a lot of your attentional energy to learn skills that are going to rapidly expire. So like, that's where like right now, you know, learning how to be a trucker as a human, probably not the best use of your time when instead you could learn how to be uh, a product designer or an engineer or, or, you know, insert, insert job here. And then even if you're thinking about the trucking industry for whatever reason, if you love trucking, there will be plenty of jobs. You know, the, what's been fascinating to me as I've dug into this a little bit more is that humans are so flexible in our intelligences that our general intelligence that when we don't have time or resources to train the AI to get it good, we'll send humans in to kind of fill the gaps because our techno- 
technology takes a while to be trained. This is one of the reasons why the creativity article was interesting to me because it was basically saying, making the lateral connections, demonstrating the generalized intelligence is something that AI is gonna be slow to adopt. That's actually where humans are quite good. So, you know, you could either be someone who rapidly acquires skills knowing that they're going to be replaced by subsequent skills. I think that's part of it. The other thing is, you know, like you always, always be learning is no longer a choice. It's, it's really just the reality. You have to continue to learn. But then I think on the other side, trying to identify the abstracted capabilities that are going to have the longest, the longest term viability. And that's where to me being creative, being a collaborator, providing like differentiated service, um, really leaning into your humanity, understanding where the AI is going to get better and where, where it won't. You know, another thing that's really interesting that came up in the Fast Company article is the idea that humans will trust less solutions that they know are designed by AI, which speaks also to sort of like John Henry on top of the train, which also I'm, I'm, I'm imagining the cartoon animation to accompany this. But like, if you can figure out where do I layer in my uniquely human capabilities to the solution design that is going to leverage AI, you know, that is, that is kind of like a next level uh, of design thinking that I think many of us can adopt. And I think that's something that we're trying to communicate out as, as part of, uh, part of this show. Do you want to go through the list, Brandon? Do you want to, you want to outline? Yeah, I'd be happy to, happy to. And then there, there are a bunch of things in, in what you just ran through that I'd, I'd love to come back to, but sure. um yeah, so again, this is from the Steve Brown article that the, the next 10 years will see more innovation and disruption than the previous 40. Mm-hmm. I want to come back to that statement too. But, you know, based on all sorts of things, but five specific technology related advancements, developments that, that he calls out specifically. So they are artificial intelligence, blockchain. Yeah. We're a fan of the blockchain on this show. Uh, the blockchain. The blockchain, IoT, Internet of Things, and and sensors. Mm-hmm. Fourth is of maybe there's six. Um, I think there might be six. Uh, counting is uh, number four. No, five G networking and satellite networks, autonomous machines, and then the bonus one, augmented reality. He does say ultimately augmented reality. That's ultimately suggests that's coming later in this next decade, but. Yeah. Those five things, I don't know if it's, if it's worth talking through any of those in any detail. I think the, the regular listeners of the show know what, what all those things are. But do we want to hit a beat on any of them, Mike? Yeah, I mean, are there any that jump out at you, at you as either surprising? I think we were saying he, he didn't seem to leave anything out that was super critical. He didn't talk virtual reality. He said augmented, but I get those kind of our neighbors so i think you kind of scoop in the virtual when you talk augmented was there anything that you would expect a futurist an oregon futurist like steve brown to include there or you think it's a pretty good survey of the technologies that are emerging that that will be will will demonstrate the transformative nature of the next 10 years yeah i mean I, i think the one that i was surprised not to see and maybe you could shoehorn this under 5g although it's a different technology is Quantum computing, quantum computing, you know, when you think about 10X in computer speeds, I think that there's an obvious application, like that means Fortnite's going to run faster on your machine, but like the real, the real capability is 
for things like autonomous machines, especially like autonomous vehicles, the difference between you know, a half second and a much smaller fraction of a second might mean that that industry can exist or not. Right. Right. So the, the quantum processing is maybe the one that I was surprised not to see. I, w- I will just say, I think 5G, which is going to allow, so that's fifth generation cell networks. So I think that the, the layperson might think 5G is just a way to, you know, can you hear me now better? Right. It's right. just about mobile connections. And it's not not about that, but it's also about all of the other IOT, the the T, right? It's about uh, the internet of things, all the things, those faster connections. And it's like 10 to a hundred X faster than 4G, which most people know is LTE. Um, That's going to enable a whole category of, or, or within cross categories, a whole next level of connections to happen. Yep. So I think that oftentimes the, the sort of limit, limiting factor on change is speed. Yeah, Moore's of, Law, right? Yeah, yeah. Moore's Law is speed of connections, right? And, you know, that, that if you think we can do a lot today through, you know, the medium in which we're recording this very show, just wait until tomorrow, I guess, is, uh, is, is his point. So that, that was one that, you know, I think artificial intelligence, maybe we can talk about others, but artificial intelligence, blockchain, autonomous machines, maybe that's one coming, worth coming back to. Some, some of these are pretty well known, I think, by our, our listeners and people at large, but and there are a couple of these that, that require maybe a, a little bit of, of additional, more expansive thinking than what the most immediate application to a daily consumer of things might, might seem like. Yeah, and I like, I like the angle on quantum computing as part of the mix, too, because what was striking to me was how those five Let's call them six technologies. How they how they might interrelate, which is why you know anything that that is sort of like a step change in processing power is going to open up opportunities. Same thing around sensors and the Internet of Things. You know, like those the the relationships um, between and among these emerging capabilities are going to allow for. Uh, smart design thinking that's what i keep coming back to like people who are really thinking about how the whole ecosystem works how the human agent will interact with the complexity of this emerging world and how that human agent is not a passive lean back i'm consuming the the broadcast media instead i think it's a more of an engaged model which you know ultimately i think there is a little bit of like you you want to be on the engaged side of that model because i think the the risk is that there will be more of a passive consumer aspect to human experience that I already see, which is sort of like, you're almost abrogating your own humanity to just consume the spectacle. And everything that I'm reading is indicating that if you play with your head up and challenge yourself to be uncomfortable, creative, productive, generative, regardless of your age, regardless of your background, you will, you'll have your own function that ideally is accelerating in a positive direction in line with all these technologies and external things that are going to be accelerating in a positive direction. And a lot of ways we're going to be defined by our ability to, to change, you know, there's that old, I think it's Bill Taylor quote, you know, are you, are you learning as fast as the world is changing? There's an element of, and I liked where you were going with this before, where like, if you lean into the tooling that's available to you, 
you know, granted we don't have the matrix uh, downloads into the back of our head yet, but like if you lean into what's emerging around you, you can learn at accelerated rates. We're already learning new, new things at rates that are much faster than, than even five, 10 years ago. And then if you think about the, the force multipliers in the technology set that's evolving that you're talking about, we are entering into a golden age for a learner, which is the positive note. The negative side is if you don't lean into some of that golden age, you may wind up in sort of some stagnated danger zone. I generally try to stay away from stagnated danger zones. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably uh, that's a pro tip for all the listeners yeah. out there. Stagnated yeah. danger zone. I was thinking just uh, maybe one other thing that my, I might say is missing from this list, and and then a broader point about it is and uh, a hot take. Uh, I haven't forgot about the hot take, but from the list, yeah is the just natural language processing and 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 audio engagements voice engagement rather with with machines and i i think when you think about the you know machines over human history like the our first engagement with with, with, with machines was sort of a full body engagement right like think about a pulley to to pull a, a heavy stone up you know like you're using your whole body you know at some point you, know, you started using your your fingers like once we got to typewriters right and then it, it moved from fingers to thumbs, right? When we started to to go mobile, and right. and now like we're interacting with with more machines more often just through, you know, uh, something that's scanning our face and unlocking our iPhone, or something that's reading our our thumb to unlock a device, or something that is, you know, hearing our voice and in a very natural way in, in acting in interacting with us. And so I think. One of the things that maybe I would call out the natural language processing as a big enabler for innovation in the future, and it's not brand new, but it is, it's still in its early stages, I think. I, I think that uh, more generally, the interfaces between humans and machines are going to continue to become more elusive. Yes. You know, think about like a Fitbit that sits on your wrist and yeah. does all that biometric reporting. Like, the, does that really feel like a machine? And that machine is actually reading things through your through your motions of your body, through your yes. skin, et cetera. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's going to become even, even more so the case. We talked about centaurs before, you know, right. humans plus, plus robots. And I think um, some of us who are old enough, <laughs> I put myself in this camp, like still th have like this sense of robots from or our earliest imaginings of robots were like from, from like 1950s sci-fi, right? Yeah, yeah. Danger. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Dan stagnating danger zone, Will Robinson. If you think about human interfaces with machines today and really tomorrow especially, it's going to be very different from what we've experienced, those of us who have you know, a few decades under our belts, and, and certainly those who imagined robots in like the 20th century. It's, it's yeah. Really very different. Yeah, I, I, it was interesting when you were talking. I was thinking about interfaces too because I remember reading someone maybe five, ten years ago, a while ago, and he was a futurist. I have to find the credit, but, but he was basically calling the 21st century the century of the interface, which I thought was an interesting big idea. But if you think about how those interfaces are evolving, how, you know, 10 years ago, we were just starting to realize, oh, the screen on this phone could become a way in which I could interact with the world around me, you know, and that defined a 10-year era. I think it's likely that new more elusive to, to use your language more subtle stealthy streamlined elegant interfaces will emerge 
so that you know things can move more at the speed of thought and you know speech does so i, I do think that does that's an interesting yeah. one uh to put out there although some of us our thoughts move <laughs> passion but hey that keeps us ahead of the robots that's right that's so, right uh, so i think we're coming up on uh, on time for this show that i yeah. believe there was a take my you. hot take my hot take I'm, I'm gonna say one for each my, my first is not super hot just the the uh, on the steve brown article as a futurist, I would say this to Rohit too, Rohit, Rohit Bhargava, yeah. uh, friend of the show. You kind of, if you're in that business, you kind of got to be in the rate of change in the future is going to be greater than the rate of change in the past sure. camp, yep. right? Because it, it's a less, not just clickbaity, but it's just a less interesting thought piece if you say the rate of change over the next 10 years will be exactly what we experienced over the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, so anyway, no, no, no real shade thrown. My hot take, which is not shade on the, on the Fast Company article, the fact that human creativity is going to outstrip AI creativity, which is sort of the, that's the, the, the human, the, the human in, in her, his corner gets the, at the bell, gets the win in this article. It's a very human centric point of view. Mm-hmm. So for millennia, human creativity has been we have been the consumers. We humans have been the consumers of that creativity by and large, right? I wonder if at some point your point of reference might shift, right? What if AI is better at creating things for machines than we are, right? Right? Because you can imagine a learning AI that knows better, frankly, what its needs are or the needs of the sort of internet of things connected machines and that so one of the examples in the article is the post-it note like maybe maybe ai isn't developing the next post-it note but maybe they're de- developing the next breakthrough in computing technology or in some in something that is going to be more applicable from a machine-centric point of view than a human yeah. point of view. right so right. I'm, i mean i'm i'm still i'm still hashtag team humans although you know i i heart bots yeah. <laughs> but one to my point of like the 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 sort of so there's going to be a semi-permeable membrane between those two in the future. And then two, um, not sure that the human hegemony that we've had is, is necessarily going to persist for all that much longer. And so I think thinking about things from a non-human centric point of view at some point is going to be something we need to do. Yeah, that's super interesting because there is a whole movement around human-centered AI as almost like a counterpoint to the traditional AI, which has sort of assumed that the system you design for is almost a pure AI play, which is kind of like what you're talking about, where it's almost, this gets back to the design thinking, but like if your system is a blend of human and, you know, artificial intelligences, artificial agents, I think the design thinking is different than if the humans are not part of that system. And that's also where the, the sort of the ethics and the next level thinking that gets, gets to the right place where you're like, what should, what, what are we comfortable allowing AI to, to own with some independence and autonomy and perhaps superhuman capabilities? And then where, where is it right to be humanist in our thinking about designing these systems? That's what a lot of, I mean, Yuval Harari, who I've, I've said it a few times on the show, he talks a ton about this stuff. Stanford, Fei-Fei Chang out of Stanford has the human-centered AI. What's interesting is there are a lot of you know, educators, thought leaders who are beginning to, to try to wrap their heads around this stuff. And I think we're kind of, we're at least reading what they're, <laughs> what they're writing. Yeah. Participating a bit. <laughs> I think we're participating. I think, 
I think what we've done, one of the things that we've done, and I, I don't intend to speak for you, although I think I know you well enough after having done this for you long enough, Mike, but we, I think we're also, we take a, a glass half full look at this, right? And so, yes, things are changing. And yes, people need to be aware of them. But yes, this is going to unlock new potential for all of us, right? And so I think that there's, you know, through this show, I think in part, we're trying to just bring the conversation to, to folks, but I, I, at least I am, and I think you are too, also trying to take a, you know, a generative and positive look on this because yeah. uh, I think better things will come from everybody, including not being sort of riddled by anxiety. If you're thinking about, uh, you know, okay, so may, let's, let's, let's say this is a reality. How, how does my role in it change and, and what can I take advantage of it to make that, that future more awesome than, than the past? Yeah, I agree. I, and and the, the related point I think is that mindsets can be taught. And I think in addition to growth mindset, you know, being curious, uh, being flexible, adaptive, adaptable, you know, being humble about your own knowledge, but still open to acquiring new things, you know, like I think those things, that's why social emotional learning is such a big deal. Cause I think a lot of those things they're subtler to unlock, but they are teachable, modelable. And, and yeah, when you start thinking about the future, you start thinking about learning and all that stuff, I think it naturally gravitate to this stuff. So, so yeah, super interesting. Any uh, parting thoughts, uh, Brandon on this topic? I typically say no and then say something. So I'll just now cite what I typically do. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited. You know, we're, we're trends, you know, trend spotters, trends, traders, trends, yeah. or trendsters, right? I, I guess I'm, I'm just excited to see how this all develops, to participate in it, to, to keep my head up and, and my eyes open, look around me as it's happening and think about applications to, you know, to work, but just also to life. So I'm excited and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance, Mike, to keep on jamming on this with, uh, with you over the years to come. Awesome. Brandon Jones, permanent friend of the show, one of the founders of Training and Education. Always great to get your perspective and we'd love to get our listeners' perspective too. One of the best ways to get out of that perspective is you subscribe to the show, you tell your friends about it, you start having conversations with us and with them. And we're trying to provide a curation function for you so that it can you can help filter some of the crazy out in the world. We try to do that every week, once or twice, uh, three times when we're doing nice. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Brandon for being on the show. Bye.